Tom Bernard Show with Mike Molina. Andy Brant Bernard. And Doug Sprinthal. We'll be right back. Kick things off. Hour three, Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. L.A. Nick just sent, I won't even say what it says, but L.A. Nick just sent a message to me to tell Doug. Well, you got to tell him what it says. All right, it's don't okay. tell him what it says. L.A. Nick, let Doug know the venereal disease is up 8% in the Twin Cities. He may want to be careful. <laughs> That's really nice. I'm going to mention that to my wife. She'll punch him right in the store next time. She exactly. sees they're about the same size. Yeah, they are about the same size. That is true. She could probably take him. Yeah, I'd take Sarah in that fight. Yeah, me too. Yep, we'll take her in that fight. Ahead of Kim Jong-un's high-stakes meeting with South um, Korean... Walzer we'll Automotive the Walzer commercial. Or oh, that's just, right. It's all right. Kim Jong-un for Walzer Automotive. Yeah. Exactly. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. When I when need you, a car, I think North Korea. When you get rid of your <laughs> nuclear right. weapons, you can afford to buy. No, I'm not going to do that. I like that. <clears throat> um, we've had three more people sign up to ride since we've been sitting here on the just podcast. Just sitting up here? Yep. Who? Anybody I, I, I can't. No, I can't get in to see the names on the on my phone. I have to log in on a regular PC. Their site's a little wonky, but what we're talking about wonky. is the uh, upcoming Twin Cities Tour de Cure uh, bike ride. Tom and I put a team together, second year in a row. Anybody is welcome to join. Go to the uh, Tour de Cure website and find the KQ Walzer team, or if you can't find it, just email me at Doug at Walzer, and I'll get you hooked up. It's Saturday, June 2nd. We're going to ride the 26-mile course, so you don't have to be... Lance Armstrong to join us. It, it really, we had a great time last year. We raised a lot of money for the American Diabetes Association. So, as long as you're okay with attorneys, because Michael Bryant's riding again and on a couple others, uh, it'll be a good time. Excellent. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Bicycle, bicycle, <laughs> bicycle. I want to ride my Andy, are you going to ride the Tour de Cure? The only bike I have is the electric one. Oh, there you go. So you can't. It's cheating. I don't know why they wouldn't let people ride electric bikes. I'll find out. It is kind of dumb. No, I they, mean, like, if, it, let if, them. if the issue is they go different speeds, just have the electric bike people start 30 seconds earlier or something. They'll never... The two well, groups. the way they do it, because there's like five different rides. They have there's the longest one is 100 mile ride, so they send that group Jeez. out first. The idea is to have everybody finish right around lunchtime, uh, so they try to stagger. Lunchtime, okay. I'm not gonna be awake, so. <laughs> Unbelievable. I'll just give you a check. You. It'll be okay. Fine. That's I told fine. You. you can always donate. That's fine. I'll just I'll just throw some dollar bills at you. It'll be great. <laughs> All right. Before I read about Kim Jong Un, I have to read about Kim Jong Nam. You know who Kim Kim Jong Nam is? No. Uh, Kim Jong Nam should be the imperial leader of North Korea, but he's not. You know why he's not? Kim Jong Il's eldest, Kim Jong Nam, was slated to be supreme leader of North Korea. But was denounced. Do you know why he was denounced? Oh, no. The Koreans are crazy. He tried to sneak into Japan to go to Disney World. 
Uh-huh. He lost Supreme Leader position because he wanted to go to Disneyland in Japan. Well, it does show poor critical thinking skills. Well, that's I, true. I could. I'm that's slated true. to be the absolute dictator over a country, but I'm willing to risk it to go to Disney World. That's well, not the kind of person you want ruling ruling a country. How old was when he when he, when he did this? Doesn't say. Uh, oh, that's that's eight. a good question. Yeah, maybe he was. Kim Jong Nam. Let's see here. Oh, he just died two months ago. So Kim Jong Nam did? Did he kill him? Uh, Probably. Well, he did. Uh, the Disney World thing was in 2001, so he was 30. So he should have known 30. better. Okay. He should have known better. So he wait a minute. He died in Malaysia because of an assassination. Oh yeah, he was the. Oh okay. Oh, was that's he the guy, the guy oh, the, that they touched him and they gave him the yeah. chemicals? VX, oh, a VX nerve agent. Yep. That's the guy. That was, was yep. that? That was the women with the. <laughs> Told yep. them that they were part of a reality TV show. That was yep. brilliant. If I yeah, if I'm the disgraced member of the you know Kim Jong family. I'm staying to myself. Oh yeah. Anyone who says they're the part of a show, I'm going I'm gonna say no thank you. He killed his own uncle too, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Fed him to the dogs. Yeah, the dogs. Yeah. He starved dogs for months and then <laughs> he killed another guy in the military with like an anti aircraft missile. <laughs> he did. Yep. He did. God. Rather You might uh, not like him, but he gets points for flair. <laughs> yeah, he does. I mean, no simple flare. electrocutions are for, yeah, for no. him. Let's get out the anti aircraft weapons Jeez. and Obliterate somebody. Well, that, what, what, what they used to do back in like the Civil War days, if someone tried to desert, is they would capture them, and then they would tie them to the barrel of a cannon, and then fire fire the cannon, Ugh. which would basically just turn them into you know oh unrecognizable. God. Yeah, it was called being blown out of a cannon. And the Navy had something even. I don't think the U.S. Navy did it, but the Brits did it. Keel hauling. Keel hauling. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. You didn't they'd drag them that. under the boat. Yeah, they they'd throw a line under the boat and tie it to your ankles and then drag you all along the hull with all the barnacles and stuff. Oh, oh yeah. The, there was like it was technically not considered an execution, but no one ever survived yeah. that. No one ever survived keel hauling. I don't think I anyone think so. has ever survived a keel haul. I mean, like you know. Maybe one person out there somewhere. No, I think you're right. I don't His think anybody. Lefty. lefty. Yeah, really. Lefty. Uh, oh, if you weighed enough, then you would not hit the barnacles and such. So well, I guess. Oh, you'd be because like, you would sink. He- heavily a muscular people had the advantage there because they wouldn't float. Oh, I suppose that makes well, there sense. There you go. Makes total sense. Ahead of Kim Jong-un's high-stakes meeting with South Korean President Moon Jae-in over the future of his nukes comes the repetition of one word, rosti. It has nothing to do with nukes. Rather, it's a Swiss fried potato dish that South Korea plans to reinterpret and serve uh, at a planned banquet after Friday's summit at the border truce village of Panmunjom. While not many things are known about Kim's childhood, one thing Seoul is certain about is that he spent several years in his teens being schooled in Switzerland. That means there will be a lot of Swiss-inspired dishes for Kim at the banquet. Aside from the Korean twist on rosti, which basically will be fried grated potato from South Korea's Gangwon province topped with cheese, the South Koreans will serve Swiss chocolate, macaroons, and cheesecake. The set of desserts has been named Memories of Swiss by Seoul's presidential Blue House. Also for dessert will be a mango mousse decorated with a blue map symbolizing a unified Korean peninsula. The map will include a a dot representing a small island off the peninsula's east coast. These ads, I swear to God. This makes a lot of sense when you consider that the best comedian (laughs) Korea's ever turned out is Margaret Cho. (laughs) Yeah, think about that. Yeah, the Koreans try to keep that. to themselves, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, they do. They, they do try to keep to themselves. It's like they? we get Chinese and Japanese people over here all the time, yeah. but not Koreans that much for some reason. Uh, other items on the menu include fish and rice using produce from hometowns of Moon and his liberal predecessors. North Korea will bring its famous naengmyeon, <laughs> or cold buckwheat noodles, Yum. made by the head chief of Pyongyang's... Okriyun Wan Restaurant. Okriyun. What the hell is this? It <laughs> looks terrible. I don't even. It's like a Tetris piece and a bowl of oil. This is a Tetris piece. I'm sure that's what it is. Well, it is. It's a tetromino. 
Got a little yeah, it is. whatever the hell this that stuff is. stuff looks horrendous. Yeah, it does. Ugh. Probably a cocker spaniel. Probably is. No question oh, about God. it. Oh, God. Look at that food. That food looks horrible. Hmm. How does anybody Ugh. survive eating that crap? <laughs> now you know he blows people up all the time. Yeah, no wonder he's so he crabby. Eat that. Yeah. No well, wonder that he's is... so crabby. The food sucks. Yeah, and the... remember they tried to have that beer garden thing? Oh, yeah. yes. So I'm sure their beer sucks, too. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's going too well. No. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? They're still mad at the gentlemen? Japanese, though. That was oh, the, yeah. that was the oh, high point not. of that beer tour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The Japanese, well, the Chinese, the Japanese, Pretty the much Koreans, all none of them Asia hates Japan. <laughs> yeah. Well, they all hate one another. Yeah. Well, I because mean, the Koreans were treated as slaves by the Japanese right. and the Chinese. Yeah, the Japanese most recently treated both Korea and China pretty badly, but in the past, China tried to take over the entire area. I mean, the rape of Nanking. Yeah, exactly. That wasn't exactly a smooth move. And then there was like you know the War of Three Kingdoms and all that kind right. of stuff. And yeah, right. there's been lots and lots of territorial disputes. After World War II was basically the first time Asia stopped trying to invade each other. <laughs> it is pretty amazing. So, but on the other hand, that was what seventy years ago at this point. Let's yeah. Japan got over being nuked pretty quickly. I think you can, you know. They really did. I mean, yeah, when they you did, think they, about that. Yeah, they got nuked, and then like a week later, they were like, whatever. It was kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you remember that episode of Curb with the kamikaze pilot? Oh, yes. And in the wheelchair. Yeah, and Larry points out, how can you call yourself a kamikaze pilot because you're still alive and you didn't do it right? Yeah, you're a coward. Let's <laughs> yeah, be honest, yes. you're a coward. It's like the, I think you pull up a fam- the, last <laughs> the Family Guy episode where Stewie's uh, impersonating Osama bin Laden. Oh, and he's making, have you seen he's yeah. making the tape? And he goes, oh, it's nice to see you made it today. You called in sick. How can you be sick? You're a suicide bomber. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Andy, do you have the audio from the Family Guy episode of the Honeymooners? What? It's at, they, oh, yeah. The Family Guy just did a thing on the honeymooners. It was pretty funny, actually. Oh. Um, <laughs> because the interpretation of what Ralph says to Alice changes quite a bit from 1955 to 2018. <laughs> there's, there's one from January 20s. Wait. It's the honeymooners. It, uh, it's when. Well, I mean, I think they may have done it multiple times. Well, let's see if you got the right one. Uh, it's when he says. To the moon, Alice. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Let's see here. She goes, well, wait a minute. The interpretation. <laughs> I just don't feel that spark anymore. I mean, a honeymoon. Ah, oh, so much rug burn. Wait a second, Lois. That's what we need. We'll go on a second honeymoon. <gasps> Peter, that's a wonderful idea. Different. Episode. Yeah, we'll be just like the honeymooners. One of these days, Alice. One of these days. Yeah, yeah, I know, Ralph. Right to the moon. <laughs> Is that where it ended? Yep. He actually hit her? Yep. Oh, because the one I was talking about, he didn't actually hit her. Yeah, see, that's why I was trying to get more information, but... <laughs> no, she actually argues. What do you mean? Why? So threatening me? You think that's okay to threaten me? With, you're going to hit me? It's, it's pretty damn funny, but that's not it where he actually hits her. Never mind. I'm going to guess that you don't mean Family Guy. Yeah, it was Family Guy. No, it guy. is Family Guy. It was Family Guy. Peter, Peter said it to her. Uh, I don't know it's about true. that. I heard the thing this morning. I know it was Peter from the Family Guy. Mm. Ronan Farrow claimed Hillary Clinton torpedoed in an interview over Weinstein report, and George Stephanopoulos couldn't, uh, Stephanopoulos couldn't move on fast enough. What is that all about? Ronan Farrow, first of all, just go by Ronan Sinatra. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come yeah. on. Stop uh, trying to head fake everyone with with this crap. Um, the New Yorker's Ronan Farrow said on Wednesday that former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton canceled an interview with him over his reporting on Harvey Weinstein. Farrow first broke the story that Weinstein was accused of sexually harassing and assaulting dozens of Hollywood females and paying off accusers. Weinstein was deeply connected to Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. And several women later accused the campaign of shielding Weinstein from the consequences of his bad behavior. In a Wednesday morning interview with ABC's George Stephanopoulos, Farrow alleged that Clinton tried to cancel an interview with him for his new book after her staff found out he was working on the Weinstein story. 
Hillary Clinton had scheduled an interview while I was at the height of the Weinstein reporting, and her folks got in touch and said, we hear you're working on a big story. He sounded very concerned, Farrow recalled, tried to cancel that interview over the Weinstein stuff. I'm surprised at that, Stephanopoulos said, before brushing right past the allegation and changing the subject. That's nice. Here's what I love about deep political believers, whether it be on the far left or the far right. You are such frauds. If it, if the narrative doesn't fit your specific idea of what it's all about, you just go, oh, that doesn't matter. Yeah, it does matter. It matters a lot, as a matter of fact. And people on the far right and people on the far left, you both do it. Oh, really? Uh, I, I didn't realize that uh, that was the situation. Oh, okay, well, uh, never mind. Uh, but in any case, yeah, but Ronan Farrow, just go with Ronan Sinatra. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, you look exactly like him. You don't look anything <laughs> like Woody Allen. I <laughs> must uh, point that out. It just, uh, you know, I, I just, what are you going to do? God, there are so many headlines here that are popping up. CNN declares war on France because Macron was the one that talked the United States into bombing Syria. Oh, jeez. So now CNN hates France, apparently. Trump kissed Macron on the cheek. The French president's joke about it had Congress laughing their butts off. Is Macron, what is he, like 14 years old? <laughs> I think he's, I, he's older than Trudeau. But not yeah. much. Not he's only 40, I think. Yeah, they're both oh, really he? young. Yeah. He is exactly 40. Yeah. He's exactly 40, okay. Oh, well, but his wife old. is 20 years older. Yeah. His wife's yeah. like 60. It's France. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Trudeau is 46. Oh. Trudeau's okay. 46 now? Man, mm-hmm. that's unbelievable. Yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, there, there are so many things. Oh my God! Kim Kim Kardashian neuters Kanye over Trump support. No, let's just skip on. How? No, I, I have a question. Maybe this. Is I been, don't want to skip on. Okay, I I'm want, sorry. What I want to say sorry is, sorry, I blew up. How how can they print that headline? A white woman neutered a black man. I just, let's not use that kind of language, shall we? She's foreign of some sort. She's Armenian. Yeah. yeah. All right. What were you going to say? Doesn't really count. Does anybody? Why didn't Trump go to Bush's funeral? I don't know. I have no idea why he didn't go you to Bar- Barbara Bush's funeral. I think he said he didn't want to be a distraction. Just be, I don't know, out of I'm respect. I'm so popular, it's unbelievable. USA I Today, mean, let's I'm see. I'm way too popular to be going to funerals. He might not go to funerals. To avoid I, disruptions due to added security. Yeah. So. Oh, wait a minute. they yeah. got, what, three former presidents there? Yeah. You don't think the place was pretty secure? I would imagine. He sent his wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay if you get shot, honey. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, about, don't worry about it. Well, thing. you saw her yesterday, right? When, when the Macrones and uh, she wiped his hand or smacked his hand away again, supposedly. I didn't see that, oh, but I saw right. the pictures of her sitting next to Barack, and she looked like she was just having a blast. Yeah. Well, here we go. The the last president to attain, attend a first lady's funeral was JFK, who went to Eleanor Roosevelt's. Really? B- oh. Barack Obama didn't but go to Nancy Reagan's or Betty Ford's. Bill Clinton didn't go to okay. Jackie Kennedy's. So it's, it's not, probably, yeah. not that unusual. I, I mean, I wasn't calling him out. I was just curious as to why he wasn't there. See, I don't go to funerals. Yeah, I, I do. They're bad. I don't go to funerals or weddings. As bad times. Thing. We will be right back. Tom Bernard show. Did you know that about 60% of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy, blurry, or dim vision due to cataracts? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years, but did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery? Yes, indeed, and I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so I called up the folks at Whiting Clinic. They helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery or clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to RSVP today. That's 855-554-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. This is Tom, and I want to tell you a story about camping. A guy named Tim, his back pain, and his angry wife. You see, Tim went camping with his family, but he aggravated his recurring back problem a couple of days before when he was golfing with his buddies. His wife had to set up the campsite and do all the heavy lifting, and Tim couldn't do a whole lot with the two kids. Tim was not a happy camper. 
and neither was his wife. The following Monday, Tim's wife got him an appointment at Hopkins Health and Wellness Center, a DMR method clinic. Their team of physical therapists and chiropractors figured out what was really wrong with his back, quickly got him out of pain, and taught him how to keep it from coming back. And what did Tim say was the biggest benefit of finally handling his back problem? Happy wife, happy life. DMR clinics are a group of physical therapists, chiropractors, and allied medical spine specialists that can help you feel better fast. They have a 96% success rate. It's covered by insurance, and you don't need a referral. They have convenient locations in Hopkins, Woodbury, Rogers, and Blaine. For a free consultation, go to dmrmethod.com. That's dmrmethod.com. I got a song that I sing. I can make the rain go. Anytime I move my finger Lucky me, can't you see I'm in love This is from the newest album from Ronan Farrow. Speaking of uh, Ronan Farrow and Family Guy, uh, they actually did have a bit about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm I'm glad you could make it home for the family dinner, Ronan. You got it, Four Eyes. Wouldn't miss a dinner with my cuckoo dad for the world. Hey, Anime Wong, no ticky, no shirty. I'm just getting around, Rice Bowl. Jeez, lighten up. This room is tighter than Ava Gardner's caboose. Us, right? It's like looking in a mirror. That is so That cool. show is really uneven, but uh, when they get it right, they're yeah. really... Yeah. They're, 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 it is sometimes not funny in the least, and then it's funny as hell. <laughs> that does happen. It's very, very true. Well, seriously, it's like Woody Allen has a pretty distinctive look to him. <laughs> yes, uh, he does. You can tell if someone's related to him or not, I think. Yeah, there's no way that Ronan Farrow is <laughs> no. Woody Allen's son. What Does he have any other kid? Oh, he has a lot of kids. Woody Delano Allen? Sullivan. Well, they adopted he, they quite adopted a few. One. Oh, so we don't. And he married one of the kids he adopted. Yes, so yeah. he did. Great, that was perfect. Uh, was so, wonderful. do we know if he has any actual like birth I children? I don't think that he does. Well, Ronan Farrow. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they try to claim. I just wanted Wait, to look at the Wait, kid I, and I see think, if actually uh, I think he does. Doesn't he have a kid named he named Satchel? Yes. Satchel. Yes, he does. I think that might be not his Satchel Ass. That was Bing Crosby talking about his son, <laughs> Satchel Page. Uh, his favorite uh, pitcher or some crap. I don't know. Uh, Moses. He has a son named Moses. He has a son named Satchel too. God, I was sure he did. Yeah, he absolutely does. Satchel? I don't think so. Well, he said he was going to name him Satchel. Maybe he lied. Woody Allen Satchel. No. Hmm. Wait. Yeah, Ronan was originally named Satchel. Oh. But then... Oh. But then Frank objected? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Don't name him after a black guy or I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Uh, I've done enough for Sammy Davis. Leave me alone. Is that the plan? Yes. Whenever something overtly infuriating happens in pop culture, you can bet there's a Kardashian involved. Today it comes in the midst of Kanye West's newfound awakening. The rapper has been tweeting some pretty interesting philosophical musings over the past week. He complimented conservative commentator Candace Owens this weekend, calling out uh, thought police and self-victimization and attacked fake news Wednesday morning. Kanye West on Twitter, there's been a lot of fake news, so I just wanted to give you the facts. Yeezy will become the biggest apparel company in human history by working with the most genius level talents. The most genius level is the least genius thing I've ever heard in my life. It sounds like Trump's writing it. It does. Uh, And creating product at an affordable price. I hired the head of supply chain from The Gap. Good job. What has that got to do with fake news? I... Kanye, I, he's got something wrong there's with him. There's something wrong with him. I thought he was him. bipolar. Or he yeah, came out there, with something. There's definitely something wrong with him. I don't know what it is, but he's got... He's got some sort of schizoaffective disorder or he something. He really does. Got a screw loose, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. My, I, I tweets again, my wife just called me and she wanted to make me this... Wanted me to make this clear to everyone. I don't agree with everything Trump does. I don't agree with a 100% with anyone but myself. Mm. I agree with myself. Uh, I mean, you think you would. If you don't agree with I, yourself, then that you're you're lying. So. You know, I think honestly, I've taken a really bad position here against myself. What? Uh, I, I don't know, Kanye. That that whole 
Kanye West Kardashian thing, and then now this Chloe Kardashian just had a baby by a guy who's banging every other woman in sight, and I I just don't get it. Hey, have the uh, Timberwolves been eliminated yet? Oh, that's right, it's only two thirty in the afternoon, so <laughs> uh, they'll be eliminated in a few hours. Yeah. That team is a disaster, and the Wild's an even bigger disaster. Yep. And the Twins. And the Twins are just horrendous. Oh, God. You know, look, I don't blame the ownership of either the Timberwolves or the Wild for their team being bad. They spend the money. It's just, I get your head out of your ass and get, get this thing fixed. But the Twins, the Polads won't spend any money. No. That's the problem. The They're Polads one of the richest families in baseball. Oh, absolutely they are. They just won't spend any yeah. money to buy to buy good players on the team. There's no, there's nobody with any spark on that team. No. They all act like they're bored stiff when they're out in the field. Especially when they're at it. Yankee Stadium. They just cannot. Oh, yeah. they can't win there. No. What, they won in 13, I think, <laughs> in their last 14 games? Something, Something like, like that. that. Did you guys see the clip of the, it was a gal, I think it was a Mariners game. She was the, you know, guards the bleachers. They always have. Oh, yeah, yeah, the ball girl or the. On the foul line? Yeah. yeah. So she there's a foul ball, uh, hard left field. She climbs the wall and catches it. That's that's fake. Oh, is it really? If she goes up like this? Yeah. Yeah, it's fake. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I, well, I fell for it. No, I mean, it looks real. Yeah. It looks real. Absolutely it does. There's also a, a photo of a guy running. He's out jogging. Yeah. And the drawbridge goes up. And as it's about... <laughs> Halfway up, he jumps from one side of the drawbridge oh, to the other. Completely fake. All right, I fell for fake news. I'm all, all no, she, That's so great, though, because she goes, and catches the ball. It's really unbelievable. It's really amazing. Megan Kelly is failing that badly? Is that true? Perhaps, but that is not the topic of this segment. Oh, so we're going to go to Because we have Barla. On. All right, Varla Ventura, how you doing, Varla? I'm great. How are you guys? We were just talking about the failures of Megyn Kelly and Kanye West and Kim Kardashian and pretty much everybody in in the world just falling apart. There's no and question. And all the Minnesota about. sports teams. And all the Minnesota sports teams are horrendous. <laughs> That's exactly it. One in three is the, what the Timberwolves are doing right now. So yeah, they're they're down three games to one. They got the Not final fine. game of the season tonight. Because I don't think they have a chance of winning at Houston. No. Wait, they're only playing five games in the whole season? No, no, no. That's the playoffs. Well, you, said the t- se- you said the season. Well, this is the end of the season. If they lose playoffs. Their, their pl- this playoff game, they'll be eliminated. From the season. Ah. There you I go. I see. Varley, you understand, don't you? They, I mean, they made it to the playoffs. That's something. Yeah, that is something. You're right about that. <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. From the ghostly specter of our beloved Prince to the raucous second acts at First Avenue, the Twin Cities is ripe with haunted venues. Your accounts of a few ghostly encounters and maybe a rock and roll legend or two, Barla Ventura. Um, the anniversary of, of uh, Prince's death was was that Saturday? When was that? It was Saturday. 21st, so that was yep, Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. so that was Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So there's some... Uh, there's been the Prince has made some appearances. Is that what we're saying here? So this is yeah. So there there have been claims. Of course, you know people will claim anything as soon as someone dies. Um, but I think you know Paisley Park in particular, his presence is absolutely everywhere. And that that was his home. That was his recording studio. Um, you know, things were bathed in purple. I mean that's his kind of. Um, how could you not? sense his presence mm-hmm. uh, walking around there. But there are a few employees of Paisley Park that claim that they have um, more than just felt his sort of iconic presence and actually felt his ghost come into the room. And some that even claim that, and more than one person has claimed, of course, they have not given their names, <laughs> but they have claimed that they've heard uh, him singing. And singing, you know, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. And um, kind of the lyrics to the beginning of that song. So that's, you know, that's kind of the the claim. Um, I mean, with any kind of paranormal story like that, you have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt. But I do think when you have somebody whose, you know, presence is bigger than life, then 
it's more likely that you might uh, find a trace of them after the fact. Yeah, is that the whole thing? The bigger the personality is, the more likely it is people will see a specter. I mean, some people think that. Some people think that it has more to do with the, the method in which they died. I mean, there's just so many different theories on, you know, did a person die violently or, you know, did they have unfinished business? Um, but I think some people do have a stronger kind of energy that can last. But, I mean, you ask any paranormal investigator and they'll have a little bit of a different take on it. Um, the one thing they agree on is that there's, you know, there's something. So they do so, all think there is is something there. Why? Why would so you think? I don't know. Just being as powerful a personality in in is there a better chance? I guess is what I'm asking you. If you did have a very powerful presence while living, is there more of a chance you will after you die, or is it is it just more noticeable? I mean, yeah, that's the question right there. Is it just more noticeable because more people want to lay claim to you after your death? Yeah. Versus, uh, you know, I mean, because most most of the ghosts that we hear um, people experiencing or sort of become legendary ghosts are just sort of people you've never heard of except for, right. you you know, accounts are similar. But, you know, I mean, like, they, you guys have Dave on the show all the time, and Dave is actually mm-hmm. a far greater expert than I am on this topic, and he's done a lot of investigations, including a lot of investigations of First Avenue. So everybody thinks of Paisley Park because that's where Prince lived and where he died. But of course, First Avenue is super iconic because, you know, he kind of put that venue on the map. And that's also where the public came to know him, where he started performing. And then it's in in Purple Rain. And that place, and Dave has actually um, investigated uh, First Avenue, I believe, on more than one occasion. And First Avenue is supposed to be extremely haunted and have a lot of paranormal activity the staff of first avenue have had a lot of experiences and a lot of them have seen the same same kind of ghost and it's supposed to be the ghost of this woman who um, hung herself now i dug into that story a little bit because you it says something about a woman who hung herself in a in a bathroom stall and then her ghost is seen with like bulging eyes and a makeshift Noose. Well, I dug into the history of that a little bit more, and it actually goes back to not when it was a venue, but prior to that when it was a bus depot. Oh, yeah, the Greyhound bus depot. Yes, and the legend is that this woman um, was at the bus depot and learned that her husband, who was supposed to come back from World War II, had been killed in combat and, and then proceeded to hang herself in the bathroom there, oh. and that her presence has remained in the walls. So, um, but um, according to something that I read that, that um, Dave had investigated was the, the upstairs room. And I guess there's a lot of paranormal activity and a lot of the DJs hear strange things in their headphones. So they're, you know, they got their like fancy headphones on and there'll be unexplained growls and hisses and sounds like that. And the creepiest legend I read about that <laughs> is this. Um, people have nicknamed this spirit Slippy. Not sure why, but this uh, it will Slippy will cause a balloon to appear, and it will slowly make its way up the stairs, which just brings to mind, you know, Stephen King's It or something like that. So why Slippy? I don't know why they name him Slippy. I couldn't really find any reason that they would call him Slippy, except maybe he just slips by and slips a balloon in. <laughs> I guess. I was trying to think of the Greyhound Bus Depot probably they probably moved the Greyhound Bus Depot when in the late 50s, early 60s or something? Yeah, I think it was converted to um, I, I, I'm not sure exactly when it it was no longer an operating bus depot but I think it be, it was converted in the, I, I want to say like 73 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that might be right. It was. I think it was Yeah. Uncle Sam's. Yeah, and that opened in 76, I think, didn't it? Uncle Sam's right. opened in 76. Yep, I think. And Public that was 76 the venue prior sense. to um, becoming First Avenue, which it became First Avenue. And, um, actually, 
I think the first time Prince appeared there, it was still called Uncle Sam's. Is that right? I think that's mm, you I might have be that right. right. It was called yeah. three different. There was one other name for it. It was Uncle Sam's. It was Sam's. It was First Avenue. But there was one more name too. Oh, the Depot. Name. It was called the Depot when it first. Oh, right. well, there you go. Yeah, it was After called the, the Bus Depot. That After makes the bu- a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> Joe Cocker recorded uh, Mad Dogs, Mad Dogs an Englishman there. He did at the Depot, and that's now First Avenue. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's an interesting venue. It really is. It's got. I don't know. There's something special about it. You go in there, and I guess so many great things have happened there musically and all the rest of it. That, uh, but I do remember as a very, very small kid, really tiny kid, going to the Greyhound bus depot to pick up my grandma from Long Prairie. So uh-huh. yeah, I remember when it was a bus depot, but I was really, really young then. We, if you can stay with us, are going to only be gone for about two minutes. So, Varley, uh, you can stay with us for a all few right. moments. All right. We'll be right back. Tom Bernardino. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you know how important it is to have the right dock. That's why you should know about flow docks. Flow docks are rock solid with double bracing to eliminate side-to-side sway. They're completely modular so you can configure them to your family's needs or add on as your family's needs grow. And get this, you can install, level, and remove your flow dock without even getting into the water. You see, Flo's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make right down to flow boat lifts that are quieter, faster, and effortless to install and use. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Flow is about making things easy. My friends at Flow also told me that hockey star Ryan Suter bought a flow dock and lift as he wanted the best for his family. See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. See them at F-L-O-E-I-N-T-L dot com. Flow docks and lifts. A better way. Oh, you want? You know what? I, I do want to read this thing. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I do. I'm, I'm glad you stopped for me because this is important. You do have the other two recorded, right, Andy? Uh-huh. Thank you. I remember when my older brother came home from Vietnam and how proud I was to be seen with him in uniform. I'm a huge supporter of our military men and women and always have been. I've also got a soft spot for women and children. Lincoln said in his second inaugural speech that we should take care of the wounded and care for the widows and orphans. That's exactly what the Gold Star Ride Foundation does. This summer, the Gold Star Ride Foundation will travel across the country visiting Gold Star families on an ambitious adventure to help those families and remind them they are not forgotten. I made a commitment to help this organization just like Weston Choppers, Northlight Color, and Print Media Minnesota, and you should too. It's pretty easy to do. Just visit www.goldstarride.org and click the Donate button. Many of my listeners already have, and that's great, but let's not forget, we're all in this together. www.goldstarride.org. Today's a good day to do it. Be proud of our veterans and their families. Make a contribution today. I got to read this story very quickly, Varla. Uh, Great. NBC's Megyn Kelly is reportedly doing so poorly at the network that she's bringing down the ratings of other shows. <laughs> That's not good news, man. Mm. According to the Wall Street Journal, insiders at NBC are not thrilled with Kelly's massive show budget. And local affiliate stations are uh, even less happy with the declining ratings. NBC poached Kelly from Fox News last year to the tune of a $69 million three-year contract. That's so crazy. Well, you know, not a problem. Don't worry about a thing. Uh, $23 million a year. Wow. Nielsen's ratings data shows that Megyn Kelly today is averaging 2.4 million viewers an episode, 18% below what her time slot was averaging last season. The Wall Street Journal also argued that her ratings are damaging the following hour of today with Hoda Kotb and Kathy Lee Gifford, noting that their average ratings have dropped 6%. Kelly's poor ratings are quite the blight for NBC, which relies on Today as its main profit center. Today generates more than $500 million in revenue and profits of more than $100 million annually. People close to the show said the WSJ report explains Megyn Kelly's Today is vastly more expensive for NBC than its predecessor. We're still making $100 million a year on it. Don't complain about that. Just from Today, but not from her. Isn't she on today? No. Well. Yeah, Megyn Kelly today. Yeah, Megyn Kelly today. What are they complaining about? Well, I don't think it's still doing that. That's the problem. Ken Salvaggi, vice president and general manager of Wave TV, 
told WSJ that his uh, audience for Megyn Kelly today is 40% smaller than what it was a year ago. Mm. We're certainly not happy with the Nielsen numbers, he said. NBC contends that Kelly's show is profitable, and Kelly said she is still getting her footing and that building a successful show takes time. NBC chairman Andy Lack also defends hiring Kelly, stating Megyn has continued to prove that she's a tremendously skilled, hard-hitting journalist who adds valuable insight and analysis to what she touches. Varla, do you think a year from now we'll be seeing her ghost in the halls of NBC? <laughs> I, I don't know if we'll see her ghost. We'll probably just hear a whole different story. Something will happen, she'll make some money for them, and then it'll be like this story never existed. Well, it's a possibility. Either, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. She'll either make them a profit or she'll be gone, one of the two. Exactly. It'll be a different story. Yeah. <laughs> three years, $23 million a year for three years. That's a pretty good take. Yeah, who's running the show over there, Rick Spielman? Yeah, honest. Well, he's good at giving away dough. There's no doubt about that. They're just probably trying to cover up the whole Matt Lauer thing still, you know? Yeah, God, he disappeared in a hurry. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I tell you what, he's an arrogant jerk, too. He's yeah, look, look at this hand over here. See what this hand is doing? Well, anybody who has a <laughs> button on Kelly. their desk that locks a door. I know, you lock the door behind it. But with, by pushing a button at your desk, you lock the door to your office? Ooh, that's creepy. a little creepy. Way creepier than ghosts. <laughs> There's no doubt For about sure. that. There's no question about that. Do you think, you know, I was just thinking about something. The Halloween season, obviously in the Midwest, it is uh, the very, very end of fall, getting into winter. Uh, was Halloween picked at that time, that date, uh, October 31st, because a lot of, veg- a lot of vegetation, a lot of uh, plants, we're either going to sleep or dying that time of the year. I mean, did it just yeah. remo- that's why? That's exactly it. Yeah. Yes. Um, traditionally, like Halloween, as we kind of think of it, not quite in our modern terms, but in terms of the date and the time of year and some of the traditions surrounding um, spirits and ghosts um, that comes from a Celtic tradition, uh, not quite as freezing cold there as it is here, but still somewhat a similar climate in that this is the the time of year in which things die they um it gets darker earlier there's less daylight and so it's a natural time to stop reflect upon uh loved ones who have passed think about the great beyond you're staring out into the field of darkness you're going to think about what what's out there and halloween itself the tradition of sort of dressing up like spirits and the whole trick-or-treat thing was so that, um, you know, it was believed that ghosts and witches and goblins and all manner of beastly things could move freely that night. Right. And so children began to dress up, uh, you know, sort of in homage or as a, an offering to that or as a way for people to kind of pay tribute to that. And, you know, if a goblin, so basically the whole trick or treat is if a goblin comes to your door and you refuse them a treat, they'll do something devilish to your home Well, right. the kids also can get treats and you never quite know. And so you might have every fourth one is a goblin. But absolutely the same. I mean, that, the whole idea that it's a transition in nature. And, of course, the, Celt, the you know, original Celtic people and their traditions were, were based around the cycles of nature and what was happening um, and was, were dependent upon the cycles of nature as many early pagan tribes and... and um, people were very dependent and indigenous people very dependent upon the um, cycle of the year. So depending on where you were in the world, um, every culture has a sort of Halloween-like tradition, not in the modern sense that we have, but in the sort of passing of time and the the passage of uh, sort of the reflection of of death and kind of looking toward the renewal that will come in spring. Yeah, that's why I, I don't understand why people get so upset over Halloween and and Christmas trees and things like that, because the Christmas trees are basically the same thing. It's just bringing yep. a tree into your house to remind you that uh, in the spring trees will grow again and there'll be greenery. Exactly. It's to get you through the long, yeah. cold winter. You need some light. You need some sparkle. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Minnesotans understand that all the way. You got. You have to have something. You know, I hear people leave their um, <laughs> their Christmas decorations up until the snow melts. Yeah, fry them out of the yard. <laughs> I can kind of. I did kind of notice that. Yeah, that, that's why I don't understand why people get so upset over those holidays. It's simply just 
the time of year. It's get it gets darker soon. And just paying attention uh, to uh, the fact that life will continue on. That 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 the dead of winter is not the death of the uh, of the people. Tom. We will be back right. in the spring. Right. Right. I had a question. When you lived out in Dayton on the farm, did you ever light a Christmas tree on fire in the backyard? Did I light it on fire? Yeah, after it was, you know, after Christmas. No, I did that at our house at 914 14th Avenue North in North Minneapolis. (laughs) I did one one time, and it just went. Oh, man. Dried Christmas trees with the pine resin and everything. The pine resin is basically basically (laughs) fuel if you dry it out, so yeah. Yeah, Varla, I, we, when I was ten, about uh, eight, nine years old, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, whatever I was, you used to have burning barrels at your house, and you would literally burn your garbage. That, you know, this is mm. many, many years ago. And my mother asked me to take the Christmas tree out, and <laughs> I thought she meant to go get rid of the Christmas tree. So I, I hauled it out, and I carried it out, and I jammed it into the already burning, burning barrel. I'm oh. tell- that thing went up like a bomb. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh man, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. You uh, know, there's actually a tradition of burning Christmas trees um, that takes place kind of I think like the first week of January, and it's celebrated in uh, Eastern Europe and parts of Russia. And when I really? lived in San Francisco, so people would have their Christmas trees, and then you put them out on the street. Well, there's quite a large Russian population there, and you would notice people would take your trees. It wasn't the city taking your trees. And what they would do, eventually the city uh, outlawed this or made them get a permit, which essentially outlawed it. But people would gather the um, the trees, and then they would light them on fire they would have a big bonfire of the trees out on the beach or whatever you know generally out on the beach because Mm, that was where people did bonfires but this was part of their own christmas and new Year's celebration basically torching a bunch of trees sounds cool (laughs) it was a great i mean it was totally cool it's just you know the city the city got involved and we all know how that goes they didn't like the fact that they were leaving behind discs of glass from the sand that melted yeah, yeah, that's right. true. The melted sand. Yeah. Well, you know, they. Um, yeah, it was it was cool. You could go out there and just sort of, as an observer, stand on the on the outskirts, and you know, it was just a big party. It wasn't like there was some kind of massive ritual or anything like that. But it was sort of like the the kickoff uh, or the end of their celebration was to light these trees on fire. Did did the whole idea of ghosts um, or apparitions or whatever you want to call them did it, did it come about because people want wanted to be convinced or were convinced that there was life after death is that where the, the the whole idea of a ghost or a spirit came from in the first place i mean probably there's a great um, tie-in with our fear of death and our yeah. desire to be immortal but i think the obsession especially in the west you know in western culture and in the united states specifically in about um, the late 1800s through the maybe 30s, there was a movement. It was in the UK as well, but it was very rampant in the United States. And it kind of came on the back of the late Victorian era into the Edwardian and then even up through like prohibition and um, and through, through the 1930s. And it was the spiritualist tradition. And this was the belief, not just that there was life after death, but that common folk or um, mediums who sat with common folk could communicate with the dead. And this is where we got our um, parlor games like the Ouija board and right. seances and things that we think of. And that actually fueled so much of the horror stories, the literature, um, eventually movies and, um, you know, different plays and all kinds of the idea. I mean, artists and and philosophers have been wrestling with the idea of life after death since they could think right Mm, we're all we've always been thinking and lots of cultures have had um ways to communicate but this was not specifically communicating with god or a god or any kind of entity other than a person who had been deceased and so that was kind of where it was different and that many people were practicing um Catholics or Christians, but also spiritualists, and they would um, they would you know, host seances, and you know there were all kinds of fun 
tricks and games and people were some people were charlatans and some people were heavily investigated and it was um, really kind of a really interesting time historically for the United States and the kinds of uh, the, the ways of thinking like many people that were open-minded people so they were abolitionists mm-hmm. um, they also became part of the spiritualist movement because they were open to this idea that you could communicate after death and like with anything there's always going to be someone who's going to take advantage of it and there were three very famous sisters the fox sisters oh, yeah. who did yeah. just that they completely put on this act and then one of the sisters eventually outed the others or a cousin came forward and said i was the one who was doing the wrappings on the on the table but basically they were they were communicating with the afterlife through a series of caps on the table um, and they, they became incredibly wealthy and traveled around and uh, made a great deal of money, but eventually were outed and died uh, drunk poppers. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice touch. Kind of a fun story. <laughs> it's an interesting. What, which came for it? Now, as far as, as, far as uh, ghosts are concerned, did, did the appearance of ghosts just as, as a, a spiritual figure happen for when did ghosts become hostile and why did they become hostile i i think that there's always been a level of hostility with with certain ghosts because it's the fear factor yeah so it's not necessarily that you know there were always demonic entities roaming the earth trying to you know scrape people's back right but that we've always been afraid of the unknown and I've done a lot of research on folklore and, you know, beasties and, you know, the boogeyman and all these kind of things that go bump in the night. And time and time again, you find at the core of many of these legends, the idea that, you know, you don't want the children wandering into the bog. And so you will tell them that Peg Powler is a bog lady who is going to reach her long fingers up and pull them down under. Mm-hmm. So kids aren't going to play over there. So there's kind of there's a logic to it that yeah, that goes yeah. right along with the with the legends. Not to discount or say that the legends are not real or don't come from a real belief, but that there's um, we're always playing with our worst fears when we're playing with the paranormal or um, you know cryptids or some kind of other creature that's beyond the the normal. I appreciate your time today. I love learning about these things, why people do the things they do, why uh, some things are friendly, other things are hostile. It's fascinating to me. Varla, thank you for your time, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, enjoy the the frost melt. (laughs) Yes, the frost melt. That's a wonderful thing. (laughs) Varla Ventura, ladies and gentlemen, Doug Sprinthal, Doug of the Day, The Morning Show, the afternoon show, and now dinner. Then the dinner show. Yay! Now we're talking. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tom Bernard Show.